Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. God is good? All the time. Come on now. God is good? And all the time. Let's be reminded of that. I hope you were reminded of that during worship. Um, oh, something jumped out at me during worship, and I was gonna, I was gonna tie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, help me out. We were singing a song that was about the foundation. Give me some words from that song. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll build my life on the firm foundation, right? And I think somebody in the chat mentioned that uh, that that's the foundation that they wanted for their life, and. And I was reminded, this week I got a phone call from a contractor friend who was, he was talking to me about a job that he was looking at. And um, the job that he was looking at was uh, that he, he was working on a house, and the, the owners of the house wanted to create more space in their house. Um, but they couldn't go out. So the only options were to blow off the roof and go up or to dig out the bottom and go down. And so um, he had done a couple of jobs where they had blown off the roof and going up, so he understood how to do that, but had not gotten into a job yet where they had to go down. And so him and I were talking on the phone a little bit about it and what would be entailed in it. And, and uh, we, we realized that, uh, that with the right support structure, you could, you could sister the, uh, the, in, the, 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 um, the first floor, you could... You could, you could put interior walls up, temporary walls up to hold the first floor, and then you could literally dig out the foundation. You could excavate your basement, right? Excavate the basement, and then you could, uh, with some structural support, you could put rods in to your current foundation, and you could extend your foundation down. Now, here's the key. If you were to do this project, and you were to extend your foundation down, you can't just go down with the same foundation that was there. You have to go wider. Right, so your, your your foundation wall has to go wider, has to go twice as wide as it once was, and it has to go down further. But doing that, you could pour a secure foundation that would uphold the entire weight of the house. And so, as we talked about this, and, and then as we we're singing today about being building our life on a foundation, I was reminded that many of us who were singing that song today, many of us who were singing that song today, we've already secured our life on the foundation. Right? We're, 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 it's not the first time we're, we're learning about Jesus. Matter of fact, if you're following along online, it's probably because you've already engaged in a relationship with Jesus. So we talk about building our life on the foundation. You're like, I'm already there. But maybe, just maybe, that illustration of needing to excavate and, and, and firm up the foundation that we're on, maybe that's a reality of where we're at. Maybe, yes. Saved but not yet sanctified, on my way to forever, but I'm not there yet. Maybe what we're actually needing is to say, hey, God, would you come and do more? Would you secure this foundation in my life that I would be able to stand firm, that I would be able to be the bold witness, that I would be able to talk about being grace in action and apply that to my life in a way that would alter the reality of my life and someone else's life. So all I'm saying to you, Annette, is when we sing these songs that have these rich theological truths about Christ being the foundation of our life and, about, and, and, and God being what holds us up, let's also remember that there are times when we need to go back to the very beginning and say, hey, God, I know I'm secure in you, but I need more of you in a way that would, that would empower me to stand in new ways before others and, 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 and that would give me the, uh, the strength 
to stand in the face of whatever is coming at me this week. Maybe you need to secure that foundation. I hope that, uh, I hope that, that, that moment, that was just something that the Lord had given me during that song, and I hope that that is something that encourages your heart. Father God, would you speak to us as we wrap up this series in Galatians, uh, as we wrap up this series around grace, uh, and today as we talk specifically about grace in action. God, it's time to talk about what we do with this whole idea of being people of grace. How do we apply it to our lives in a way that would change our next steps, that would, that would order our next steps, that would give us direction for how to go forward. Father, I pray that each one of us this, this, this day, right now, God, would know your presence in the preached word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to go through the first 10 verses. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. Uh, if you're following along, I hope you can click an amen and let us know that you're, that you're tracking with us. But here's what it says in Galatians chapter 6, starting in the first verse. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin... Let me start again for you. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who believe, belong to the family of believers. This passage speaks to, uh, it's Paul's charge to the church. I, I will remind you again that, that he's not writing a letter to those who do not yet believe. He's writing to the church who may be saying, hey, I need to, I need to sister the, the, the first floor so I can strengthen my foundation for a moment. But he's writing to the church who is, who is standing in a relationship with Jesus. And this is the charge to them. Everything he said up until this point is about gracious living. Now this is it. He says, this is how you go and live that out. This is how you take this grace, this idea of the grace of God and put it into action. This morning I'm going to look at three things with us. Grace in action and what that means. And the first one I want, to, want us to look at this morning is this. If we are people of grace, if we are people of God, if we are a child of God, then grace in action means that we are restorers. Let me say that. Make sure you get it. It probably popped up on your screen at home too. Grace in action means that we are restorers, that our first 
thought is restoration. That our first thought is turning people back to God. That our first thought is taking things that were set apart and bringing them back together. Reconciliation. That, that as Christians, which by the way, if you're following along and, and that's not yet true for you, I'd encourage you just to pause everything else and sit on this thought. God says that no one can come to the Father except through him. I was just reading through John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3, he walks through the story with Nicodemus of, of what does it mean to be saved. So if you're following along here with us today and you're, you're listening to this message, and I start saying things like, as Christians, you're like, I'm not sure that I am. And I want to say to you, would, would you confess Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Would you ask him? Hey, God, I don't know it all, but I know this. I don't yet have a relationship with you, and I need one. And as you utter those words, the Spirit of God begins to do a work in your life that will set a new trajectory for you. And then when Paul says things like those who, who sow in the Spirit, sow in eternal life, that is true for you. The Bible says if we believe, if we confess, then God is faithful and he is just and he forgives and he purifies he makes us right with the Father. Everything else I'll say today can wait for you. If you haven't yet, would you confess your life to the Lord? For every one of us who, is, who, who can say, yes, I am standing in a relationship with Jesus, then this is what the first point that Paul makes is that we need to be about restoration. He, he picks up, we picked up the, the passage in, uh, in Galatians 6, 1 with the story, and it says that if any one of you is caught in sin. Now, for every one of us who's been walking with Jesus for more than five minutes, we know when we hear that phrase, someone caught in sin, that there's a biblical story from Jesus that we're reminded of. And we're reminded that Jesus has an encounter with a whole mess of people who come up in front of him, and they bring with them someone who was caught in sin. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in the story in John chapter 8, there's a bunch of people who, are who come with an agenda, and they want to kind of trap Jesus into doing something that he shouldn't. If you're here with me today, I need you to follow along because I, ne I need to know you're present with me. Here we go. John chapter 8 in the first verse it says this, then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared uh, again in the temple courts where all of the people gathered around him and, and he sat down and was going to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. Now look, I want to say this real clear, right? If you're caught in adultery, if you're literally caught in adultery, you're, you're in a mess, you're in a mess, right? But you might, be, you might be checking out and just saying, hey, this is not about me because, because, because I'm not adulterous. That's fine. That's fine. There might, be another, there might be something else that wraps your life up. So either way, we can fill in the blank with whatever you want. All you need to understand here is that the woman was caught in, a, in sin. And as a result of that, the rest of the story is going to play out. You and I have sin in our life. You and I have sin in our life. Paul writes to the church in, in Galatians chapter 6, and he says, if any one of you is caught in sin... Remember the story. Yes, this is a story about an adulterous woman, but not too far-fetched for it to be a story about you. Back to John chapter 8. Uh, 
They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone her, to kill her. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to, to have a basis to accuse Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw the stone. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones went first until only Jesus was left with the woman who was standing there in front of him. And, she, and Jesus straightened up again and he asked her, woman, why are you here? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then Jesus said this, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and sin no more. Jesus had every, uh, you know, the, the law of the land said, the law of Moses said that, 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 that this woman should be put to death for sin. By the way, by the way, let me just say this as clearly as I can. Sin leads to death. There is no other option. Sin leads to death. Whether it leads to death physically here or eternally there, it leads to death. Sin is what separates us from God. If every one of us was upright and blameless from the beginning to the end, there'd be no sin, that we would be right with God. But sin in itself, enter Genesis chapter 3, sin in itself leads to death. So this woman was literally facing the reality of her sin. She was, she was being appointed to death. And Jesus, in this moment, doesn't lay the hammer down. He doesn't say, yeah, 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 let, let, let's carry out the, the, the punishment. I don't know what he was doing when he was stooped down and writing. I, I, I don't know what he was writing. I don't know what he was remembering. I don't know what he was praying before the Father. But every time he stood up, grace. Every time he stood up, he spoke words that brought restoration. The first thing he says, it says, hey, she's not the only one who's jacked up here. He stood up and says, which one of you has never sinned? And all of a sudden, adultery wasn't the only sin on display, but your mess and my mess was right there. And all of a sudden, the equation of like sin leading to death became a reality for me and for you. And then, when he has the moment, the tender moment to speak to the heart of the woman whose, whose life was on the line, he doesn't condemn her. He says, from here, go. Don't forget this moment. Sin no more. Leave the old behind. Paul would say, take off the old clothes and put on the new ones. Embody all that God has created you for 
from this day forward. Don't forget where he brought you from, but recognize he didn't leave you in it, right? He separated you from it, and that's what Jesus calls her to. I say to you again this morning, grace in action means that we are restorers. We're gentle. We're patient. We're kind. But we have an agenda, and our agenda is to reconcile, is to bring people back to God and back to one another. Can I ask you real plainly, when you find people in a mess, is your first, first priority to reconcile, to restore them? There have been times in my life when I have uh, I've learned how important it is to be able to see something. But the time that I learned this the most, young guys, you're going to want to listen to this, lean in. The time, sit up and lean in. The time that I, the time that I learned this the most, I was, in, I, was in, uh, I was in high school, and I had a good friend who was in a tragic car accident, and he lost his ability to see. He was blind for the rest of his life. In this first year that he was blinded by, from this car accident, he had to go to a special school where he could learn how to read Braille, and he could learn how to function as a young blind man. But in his sophomore year and junior year, he reintegrated into our school and into our traditional classrooms. Well, his sophomore, junior, and senior year, him and I got paired up together, and, uh, we, and, and we started doing a lot of like, uh, education work or school work together and stuff like that. And through that, developed a really good friendship. <clears throat> one of the things that, that Joe, that his name is Joe, one of the things that Joe taught me when I was a kid was just how important it was to be able to see something. And the way I learned it was this. Whenever we were together, he might, we might meet somebody. Let's say, let's say we're hanging out and, and we, met, uh, we met Pastor Crawford. And, 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 and Pastor Crawford and I would start talking and Joe would start talking with us. And, and, uh, and then Joe might, might walk over to Pastor Crawford and begin with his hands, begin to feel the outline of Pastor Crawford's face. Now, obviously, Pastor Crawford would have given him permission, and this was all pre-COVID, right? But he would have walked over and just began to feel the outline of Pastor Ace. And he would recognize that Pastor Crawford has these glasses on, and he would feel them, and he might feel whether they were thick glasses or thin glasses. And uh, he might recognize that, that Pastor Crawford, you know, has a little bit of fade in the back and not as much in the front. And, and, and he might, um, for those who don't understand what I'm saying, Pastor Crawford will give you a close-up of that. Camera guys, get a close-up of Pastor Crawford later so they can, get, they can understand what that's about, right? So, so they, they might, 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 might recognize that or might recognize that, you know, like just kind of a little bit of, of what he could feel and understand about Pastor Crawford. And then after, you know, later on in the day, you know, uh, him and I might be talking. He might say, hey, tell me a little bit more about what Pastor Crawford looked like. And he would say, like, you know, uh, you know what was his skin complexion? And, and did he appear young or old? And, and uh, you know, like, what, what, was he tall or short? And, and, and I would begin to, to give words to what I could see. And he would begin to picture in his mind this image so that he could see it too. I don't think that's very dissimilar from what Paul is doing right here. 
What Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 6, after he has set the whole charge up to understand what grace is, he's given us a picture for what it actually looks like now. Right? He's saying, look, as a young man who believes in Jesus, this is what you look like. Because if you will embody that, the world around you will be uh, affected by that. The world around you will see that, and as they see that, they will respond to that. They might, they might, they might be drawn in to Jesus because they see you as a restorer. They might be compelled to know the one who has changed your life, but they see it in you. And so I, I give us that as, as a word to us this morning to say that <clears throat> grace in action, when it says it means that we are restorers, it means that people can see this about us. Have you ever met somebody who was just super gracious? And you knew it as soon as you got around them. As soon as you got around them, you were just like, wow, this gal, this guy, so gracious. The second point this morning here is grace in action means that we are faithful in sitting under faithful leadership. I love what it says in verse, in, uh, I'm back in Galatians chapter 6 and uh, looking at verse 6. So when you get there with me again, that would be awesome. And this is what it says, um, uh, um, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Hey, how do you receive instruction in the word? How do you receive instruction in the word? Well, well maybe this is part of it. Maybe sitting in, in, in church and watching online and, and listening and writing and responding are ways that you receive instruction. But even, even then, how did they receive instruction in the word? Paul would write a letter and it would get sent to the church. And they would stand and they would read this letter that Paul wrote. By the way, Paul, when Paul wrote the letter, we're, we break it up into chapters and verses. They read it all in one reading. It was just all one reading. So they got the entire letter to the church, all six chapters of it. And somebody stood up in front of them and just read, hey, this is a letter from Paul, and just began to read. And as they read that, Every single one of them began to sit and say, how do I apply this to my life? And this is, this is a word that comes from our instructor. Why am I saying that? You see, growing in grace means that we're learning of God's goodness. It means that we're not just banking on a story that I was told back for, for the older folks on the flannel graphs, for the younger folks on YouTube, right? Like, it's not just that I learned a story there. It's that I'm actually growing and maturing. I'm studying. I'm listening. I'm searching. I'm seeking to understand the word of God. When I don't get it, I'm asking about it. I'm, I'm Googling it. I, I, I'm doing an interlinear study on it. Like I am literally becoming a student of the word of God. And as a result... I'm finding those who faithfully bring the word forward, and I'm leaning in their direction to receive more. I told this story so many times. All of you know it. I had, when I was a kid, I came to the Lord. I had a youth pastor who, who, who just showed up in my life. Rick, you want to pay attention to this one? Someone's going to tell this story about you someday, too. I know it. I had a youth pastor. He led me to the Lord, and two days after he led me to the Lord, he gave me a promise. He said, I will show up in your life every day until you graduate high school. That was three years. 
I came to faith in 94, I graduated in 97. He needed to show up in my life every day for three years. And you know what he did? He showed up in my life every day for three years. He knocked on my door. He hung out in my room. We shot hoops. He taught me things. He instructed me. But you know what I did? I kept running to him. I kept coming right back because I wanted, he, 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 was, he, was, he, was, he was shaping my mind and shaping my story. And as a result, I said, this man is faithful and I'm going to keep leaning in. Let me just set a sidebar for us real quick. Right now, we're trying to figure out how to safely reopen. For the next couple of weeks, we've opened the sanctuary to the family of staff to begin to figure out how to do this and do it right. Here, in an, in, by the end of the month or so, we're going to begin to open that a little bit more. And we've made a commitment that by Easter, we will be back in person in the sanctuary. Let me invite you. If this is the place where you find faithful leadership, come back. Come back. Come back when you're ready and maybe even a little bit before you're ready. Come back. Find your spot. Lean in. For those who jumped into those small groups and you're in a small group for the next two months, lean in. Lean into that faithful teaching. Thank your instructors who are bringing the word, but be faithful to take what they're offering and apply it to your life because it's in that that you begin to grow in the goodness and the grace of God. Who has shown you the ways of the Lord. Let me ask that question again. Who is it that has shown? Matter of fact, answer that question right now. Go ahead and answer that question in your mind. Who is it that you look to to understand the ways of the Lord? Whoever it is, show up there. Show up there. You might have a blog that you follow. Be faithful to follow it. You got somebody who's writing good things about the Lord and, and you're understanding more of who God is and who God is creating you to be as a result. Continue to follow that blog. Show up. Share it with others. They might be able to grow from it too. You might be tracking along with our sermon series. You're like, hey, Pastor Ray and Pastor Ricky and Pastor, Pastor Charlie and Pastor Crawford, when they're preaching, man, I'm being drawn into what the Lord is saying. And as a result, you show up. You show up. Who is it that's instructing you in the ways of the Lord? Every one of us needs to be able to answer that question because, see, being people of grace means that we're sitting under leadership. Being people of grace means that we're sitting under someone who is helping us to understand what does it mean to grow up in Christ. You can't do it on your own. So many times I've met people who have just said, oh, you know, when, when asked about, you know, where they stand with God, they're like, oh, me and God, we're cool, man. I say, oh, cool. Where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. I don't do that whole church thing. That doesn't work. It doesn't work because, see, growing in Christ, growing in Christ, being, being people of grace means that we're sitting under the leadership and the teaching. We're turning back to it. Paul would have shot that down right away. And so here he instructs them to be faithful, to go back to the well where they're getting good water. And so I just want to encourage you in that same way. Let's continue to be people of grace and go, go back and sit under Faithful leadership. The last thing I want to say this morning is this. Grace in action means that we will never give up doing right for others. Grace in action means that we're never going to give up doing right for others. Look what it says in, uh, in, in verses 9 and 10 of Galatians chapter 6. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore... 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the, to the family of believers. If we had time, I would read through the whole passage of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But I don't have time to read the whole thing. You can check it out later, but let me just sum it up for you. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, hey, look, in chapter 2, he says, um, you, uh, you, you're called to live for God. And, and he kind of rattles off like what that looks like in 2 verses 1 through 9. But then he gets to verse 10 and he says, by the way, let me reclaim your identity here. You are God's handiwork, his craftsmanship. You are the point in which God showed off, right? He made you and said it was great. And then he says, he says that you are to, uh, let, me, let me give it to you exactly. He says, uh, he's, for we are God's workmanship created in Jesus to do good works, to do good works, to do the right thing, which, oh, by the way, God's prepared in advance for us to be able to do it. Right? He, says, he says, you were, the, you, you were the, 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 the climax of all that God created. You were it. And you were made in such a way that you can do the right thing. And God is setting your steps up for you to be able to do it. And so I want to charge us, if we're going to be people of grace, then putting grace into action means that we will never give up doing what is right. I said a, a couple of weeks ago on my, on my social thread, I said that there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. There's just never a wrong time to do the right thing. And so every one of us, no matter what we've done in the past, no matter how far askew we've gone, every one of us can look right now and say, I'm going to do the right thing. And by the way, we need not think hard about what the right thing is. God defines it. We don't. All we need to do is turn to the Lord and to the word of God, sitting under faithful leadership and say, what is right here? God, you defined it. I'll follow it. That's the way that story goes. And so we won't give up doing the right thing. Now listen, I want to say this real clear for us before we wrap out of this. There's a reason why Paul charges them to not give up doing the right thing. Because the temptation is to do the right thing when it's easy. But in a moment that is difficult to skirt away from it. There's also a reality Doing the right thing is heavy lifting. It's heavy lifting. I remember when we started this story of working together to replant Wissahickon Church. And I remember meeting with Pastor Charlie in the office and talking about what does it look like to plant a church. And who am I? I've never planted a church. And I'm talking to somebody who's planted a couple of churches. And, and I'm saying, hey, this is, this is kind of what this journey means for us going forward. And I don't know that in that moment, either one of us had dedicated the strength that it would take to replant the church. The lifting was going to be heavy. The road was going to be uphill. But I do know that God had prepared in advance for us the right steps. He had prepared it in advance. And that's an illustration about planting a church which we can all rally around. But you probably have an illustration about your dining room table that you could talk about. This week, 
Let us be people of grace. Let us put grace into action. Let us be people who restore and reconcile. Let us be people who run back to the well. And let us be people who do not grow weary in doing what is right. One of the ways in which Jesus himself continues and con continued and still to this day continues to remind us what being people of grace means is through the invitation to have this meal together. 2,000 years ago now, Jesus prepared one final meal with his disciples. It was around the same time in which they would be celebrating Passover, and Jesus gathered together for, in his last night of freedom, he knew that would be his last night of freedom. They did not know it was his last night of freedom. And he took what seemed to be traditional and ordinary, and he turned it on its head. Matter of fact, it's probably, in that way, it's not that too dissimilar from what we experience now. If I would have said to you a year or two ago that you would be taking communion in your home, watching me on a computer screen or a TV screen or on your phone, not only would you have thought, no way, you might have like wanted to have me psyche valve. Things have shifted. For those of us who are here in the sanctuary, if you have your communion cups, we're going to prepare now to have communion together. But for those who are home, I want to encourage you, get your bread and get your cup. Because I want to remind you of this great meal that Jesus had with the disciples. The Bible says that Jesus, after uh, in that meal, after giving thanks to the Father, he took bread and, and he broke it. And he looked to his disciples on his left and his right, and he said, this, this is my body. And he said this. We're going to take this together in a minute. He said, this is my body, and my body will be broken for you. Do you know what that means? To say that the body of Christ was broken for me? It means that, that I'm the person in John chapter 8 who gets dragged into the middle of town. And I stand before the Messiah, guilty of sin. And the punishment for my sin is death. And I should pay that price. But Jesus, in that moment, says, instead of your body being broken, break mine. Instead of your life being taken, take mine. Instead of you being condemned, condemn me. And one by one, every stone that should be thrown in my direction Every rock that should be placed on your head is dropped. Every response that should weigh you down is lifted. When Jesus said, this is my body, 
broken for you. That wasn't figurative. That was definitive. The body of Christ has been broken for you. Take and eat together. same way after supper Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and then he shared it with the disciples this cup this is the blood of Christ that has been shed for you beaten pierced hung this is the blood of Christ that drips you and that blood of Christ is the, is the covering someday in the same way that we were dragged into town and stood before the Messiah we will stand before our heavenly father and we'll be vulnerable and exposed before God but not guilty of all that we have done or guilty of any of the missteps that we've had washed and covered by the blood of Christ. So this morning, before you drink, be reminded. Paul says that whenever we take the bread and we drink from the cup, we proclaim all that Christ has done. But we also declare that he's coming back again. The work of Christ is done. He has done enough. Salvation is ours, but he is still at work and has promised that he will return. So this morning, taste and see the goodness of Christ. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Let's drink together. Father, we love you. Father, we worship you. Father, we know that what you have done is right and it is good. Father, John chapter 8, we stand exposed. And yet, you, by your grace, are a restorer. You're reconciling our hearts back with the Father. You're drawing us back. You're bringing the family of God back together. Oh, Lord, unworthy we are, but thankful, so thankful. God, I pray that this week you would empower us to be people of grace. I pray that we'd be people of reconciliation. I pray that we'd be people who are faithful to the well. I pray, God, that we would be people who just continually press on to do what is right. Give us eyes to see what does it mean to be people who, who embody grace. Give us the right steps to take. The Bible says you're lining those steps up. Let us know what they are that we can just take the next step in being people of grace. Oh, Father, 
that whatever we do in word or deed, it would be done to glorify and honor you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For God, yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.